0: trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast. And we're throwing you a curveball today on this episode. We're going to be talking with my buddy Nick Otto of the Huntivore Podcast. Now, Nick's specialty is wild game cooking. He loves to cook food. He loves to cook wild game. Uh, If you go to the Sportsman's Empire website, you can find a whole bunch of recipes that Nick has put together for uh, wild game, you know, for deer, for I believe duck and turkey and just a whole bunch of things that he's done and he's documented and he's put these recipes together. And so on today's hunting gear podcast, we talk about everything from the time you kill the deer to the time that you cook the deer or the, the animal that we're talking about. So we talk about things like uh, a good processing knife, a good paring knife a good uh, what else a good meat thermometer pans um, pellet grills things like that and so I know this isn't what we're typically used to on this podcast but I feel like it is equally important to talk about the gear that we use to actually eat and cook the wild game that we harvest so uh, that's what today's episode is about short intro here I'm going to talk about the uh, partners of this podcast real quick. First and foremost, we're talking about Tethered. If you're looking to get into the saddle hunting game, you need to go check out Tether uh, Saddles at uh, their website. They have saddles, saddle hunting accessories, they have climbing sticks, the platforms, everything you need for saddle hunting, including the education that you're going to need to you know, educate yourself on becoming a good, better, best possible saddle hunter. They have that on their YouTube channel and, and on their website as well. Uh, next, we have Hunt Stand. I know if you're looking for a last minute Christmas idea, I know it's like two days away at this point, go to HuntStand.com, read up on all the functionality on how this hunting app can help you. Uh, I mean, that's, what, that's all I'll say at this point. Go do some research. It will be a great gift for somebody, period. It just allows them to think about deer hunting more, which in turn will make them more successful. Uh, So HuntStand.com, go check it out. Great hunting app, great digital maps, awesome satellite imagery uh, for you to do some e-scouting on and and really document your hunting adventures. Last but not least, Tacticam 6.0, the brand new Tacticam. Uh, Again, this would also you know if, if maybe if your uh christmas isn't coming until like my family doesn't celebrate christmas until new year's so just because we're so busy it's a big family so we always push it back if you're looking for a, a really fun christmas gift go check out the tacticam 6.0 and uh, i really think that that would be a great gift for those people who like to share and document their hunts really really uh You can attach it to a bow. You can attach it to a gun. It's an action cam. It's 4K. Uh, The new one has an LCD screen and image stabilization. So go check out Tacticam's uh, website for more information there. And that's it. If you haven't subscribed to the Sportsman's Empire or the Hunting Gear podcast, please do so. Go tell your friends. Uh, We're going to be trying real hard in 2023 to share the message of the Sportsman's Empire and all the awesome content that's on it and I know I might be a little biased but I would put our content from the Sportsman's Empire from any podcast really up against the cream of the crop I I truly feel that we are the best of the best and so you're not only going to get an education listening to these podcasts but you're going to be entertained as well so go check out all of the podcasts on the Sportsman's Empire uh, podcast network and I think that's it so let's get into today's I guess we'll call it Hunting and cooking gear and equipment episode with my man, Nick Otto, from The Hunt of War. Three, two, one. All right, today on the Hunting Gear Podcast, we're going to take a little break from actually hunting gear equipment. We're not going to talk about broadheads. We're not going to talk about arrows. We're not going to talk about guns. We're going to talk about the tools, the equipment that you need to to prepare wild game and this is kind of a good better best type conversation we're going to talk about certain um, implements I guess you could call it that uh, that my buddy here Nick Otto from the Hunt of War podcast here on the Sportsman's Empire podcast network uh, he talks about that stuff all the time I felt like it would be a good idea to get him in share his expertise and uh, what do you think about that Nick?
1: Oh, it sounds great. I feel like we're finally in my wheelhouse. There you, know, you go. There's a lot of times I tune in and I'm just taking notes feverishly. Oh, this piece of equipment sounds really good. And Oh, you know what? I've been hearing a lot of good things about this black rack. I should probably pick one of those up. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's it's fun to switch the tables now and then and, and feel like the expert a little bit.
0: Right, because, you know, we can talk about hunting gear and equipment until we're blue in the face, but then there's a whole other side of it, the processing, the, you know, the processing of the deer, the, um, you know, the cooking of the wild game, uh, you know, even turkey or fish or whatever. I'm sure there's some crossover items that we might touch on today. But um, before we get into that, I want to talk about, I want to share some experience uh, with you, I used to be absolutely I used to be that guy who, you know, I cooked the meat until it was well done, like venison backstrap, you know, everything well done. Uh, and it it was chewy. And so my first couple of experiences with me actually cooking my own wild game were not very good. How long did it take you to? go from first-timer not very good at cooking wild game to the guy who you are today
1: i would say like as far as being you you are your own worst critic Mm -hmm. and so my my first deer that i put down it was and we wanted to butcher ourselves i look back at that time and it was one of those i mean it was such a hack job we had what we called um Giblets and essentially they're like what could have been a really good steak piece, but now it is in a like two inch by two inch little cube that we eventually just you have to put tin foil on the yep. grill in order to get them to to sear up. Um it it took a couple deer. It took uh quite a few seasons just to be able to get the nuances. Um, I did my trials and tribulations with, with domestic meat. That's where I kind of started. And then I joined into this hunting fraternity and loved everything about it. And then it was like, but man, there's gotta be more to this venison. Like everybody, everyone I've tried or every bit I've tried has been gray and has been just chewy. And then I started doing it myself and it was like, man, this has gotta, there's gotta be something different. There's got to be a better way that I can handle this. Yeah. And so yeah, you're going to take your licks, you're going to ruin uh you're going to ruin like three or four backstraps and you're going to have to be okay with it. I'm sure everybody's dog will appreciate uh every new little change <laughs> that you do because <laughs> that's where it's going to go. Um but yeah, you, if you stick with it, just like anything else, shoot, guys switching from guns to bows, there's a learning curve. Guys switching from domestic into wanting to to handle their own wild game and do something uh, creative with it it, you're going to have to have a little bit of a learning curve
0: with it yeah absolutely all right so I think this is a good place to start let's and let's talk about after the shot processing let's talk about some equipment that you might recommend to someone that will Maybe make processing easier, or a shortcut product, or uh, you know, a really a, a product that would help or benefit someone in during the processing portion of the the kill.
1: Gotcha. Um, as far as you want to have a good sturdy knife, um, you're going to want a full tang um, hunting knife, uh, a nice big blade. Or I don't say big blade. It doesn't have to be like three? Three, between three and five inches is a good size uh, hunting knife. And I most, most guys have that on their hip pocket. Um, but I do say fixed blade and I do say uh, full tang if you're going to have a one and done job knife. I know there's a lot of uh, really sharp knives that are out there that are replaceable and they have their purpose, especially when it comes to delicate work. Yeah. Uh, problem with those is they are very thin and with i mean even not even on a joint you could just be working um a tough bit of hide you can snap the tip or you can because it's a really uh um it doesn't have a lot of, it's really hard steel it's not very soft not a lot of carbon in there and so rather than bend it's going to just snap off you could go through a couple of those but i just it's it's one of those things it's like man if you could get yourself a nice sturdy full tang knife uh it's got some beef to it i'm I've never been able to make the gut hook work, but it seems like every knife that I like the shape and I like the style of it with a little bull nose on the front of it uh, works out really well. There's always the add-on gut hook I've never been able to make them work, so I know part time on the on the show here you always have like what's that gimmick you see? And it's like for me the gut hook is always the gimmick. Like you yeah. have great aspirations of being able to hook on, just kind of zip up the chest. It never works that way. So if you can find yourself a nice sturdy knife, uh, three to five inches, no gut hook, you you're set. Yeah. Um, one that's that you would put in the gimmick category, but then at the same time I've also seen it work out, especially for someone who's new. Um, and who's ready to laugh more uh, in their life is to get the butt out too. Um, I've never seen the first version. I've only seen the, the second, but this was introduced by a buddy to me. Um, we were We recovered his deer and he's like, help me take care of this. I'm like, all right, well, I'm gonna show you how to take the anus out. And he was like, no, no, no. I have this tool and he pulls it out of the package and we proceed to read the instructions and this thing is essentially a plug that goes up into the rear.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Per the instructions, you twist until you hear and feel a pop. <laughs> and then you then pull this back out. I it took us it took us a long time to do it just because we were laughing so hard at the whole idea of it. Yeah. But at the same time, it does it does work. I'm preferable to just getting in there with the knife, uh, yeah. doing it by hand. But if you needed something, if you were still a little bit squeamish, here's an implement that you can just yeah shove up the deer's rear, give it a twist till it pops, and then that's going to loosen up yeah. uh, that anus up.
0: Well, I'll tell you this, man. That has always been a hard uh, portion of the gutting process. That I, I'm I'm a I'm a break the pelvis guy. So really, uh, yeah, I. I will gut the deer, I will cut the pelvis, you know, so it's just straight wide open, and then I'll cut around and clean everything out after I saw through the pelvis. And so I'm that guy. Uh, (laughs) It's just, and then, you know, clean the anus out and all that stuff and and pull all that, you know, pull it all out. But I've always wanted to know how that worked because... I've never, I've seen the product, but I've never used it. So it sounds like once you get past the uh, comedy portion of, of the product, it actually does work.
1: It does. It does. And essentially like it's got three barbs, three or four barbs. I can't remember exactly. But when you shove that in, what that's going to do this is going to hook on to essentially the colon, uh, the portion that you're trying to get out. And by twisting it, yeah. um, it's actually going to wrap up and by wrapping it up, you're essentially pulling it away from the pelvis cavity. There's all that connective t- t- tissue in there. Yep. And once that gets tight enough, you've been sep, you've uh, basically yeah, twisted it all up. It's going to separate and it's just loosened that up without having to get a knife blade in there. Right. Um doing it a number of times and just kind of like getting rid of the, being able to go to that zone, like I'm doing a job here, and get past the comedy portion, get past the the ooky, gross portion. You can just get in there with your knife and be able to do the same exact thing. Not spin it, but you'll at least be able to separate around in there. That's where the five-inch really does help. But you can come in from both sides and, and loosen that up, tie it off, and then uh, have a really clean... Uh, setup. As soon as you break that, you know, as soon as you get a little bit too far yourself, yeah, I know it's cold. Yeah, I know your fingers are kind of freezing up a little bit if it's, a, it's uh, snowing out. But at the same time, take your time with it. There's no rush at that point. You've already opened up the cavity and you're working on getting things out. Take your time to make sure you're not opening that up. Now, yep. if it is a, a gut puncture, you've gone ahead and opened up the paunch. At that point, it's kind of like, yeah. Like just get it out of there, and if you can go your yep. method too of being able to to cut that, there's a bunch of great little hand saws that can do that. Yep. Um, smaller the better, and it's getting that round uh, nose on it too. That also helps, so you're not stabbing in in through on the backside. So Fact. yeah.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let's see here, and and just to throw in my two cents here, when it comes to field dressing, you know, field dressing a deer, you mentioned uh, replaceable blade knives versus fixed blade knives. I do all of my, when I do do my own processing, my, my gutting, and I do use a gut hook and I've had fairly good success with it over the years. I use a gut hook. I also, um, uh, use a replaceable blade knife for the actual gutting and removing of, you know, the lungs and the heart and, and, and the guts and things like that. And then in, on my, um, uh, whoa, my hang on, I got an outdoor edge kit that I carry with me. It has a folding pocket saw with that rounded uh, well, I don't know with that rounded tip on it, like you mentioned. That's what I use to yeah. cut the pelvis, and or, and then I will go in with my replaceable blade, cut around the butt, and then pull all that and then pull it out. But when I, then when it's time to, uh, you know, hang the deer, start cutting the meat off of it, I'm using a fixed blade knife that uh, Outdoor Edge has as well. They have like a processing kit. You know, you can it comes with like a rib spreader and you know variety of different knives that I, I use and and so uh when it comes to you know uh replaceable blade in the field, fixed blade in the garage. That's that's what I'm doing.
1: That's a nice approach. Yeah. Um they do have their place with the with the replaceables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just some stuff when you're starting to get into some anything you're trying to like weasel around. Yeah, if it's not scalpel work, yeah, yeah. I I avoid those. But yeah, I've got a nice um I think it was one of the the havilons, but um, they've and it's one of the earlier models. It is a great little like almost exacto knife. If yeah. I get in and I'm like, I need to be very easy around this or even like with ducks mm-hmm. uh, with fine work with that, getting a, re- a good replaceable, almost like a paring knife out of yep. the kitchen. That's essentially what that what that does because man, yeah, as soon as that I'm feeling a little drag here. In the field, uh, being able to have like a field uh, sharpener is nice. I'm one that uh, I like to sharpen my own stuff, but at the same time, like being able to just kick off that blade uh, yeah. and then be able to slap on another one. That's another thing with those replaceable blades, too. Even though it's not as sharp as what a, a fresh one would be, I would take that packaging and put that old blade in there. And stick that in a safe place in your pack. You don't want to leave that on the ground. Not necessarily that you're gonna step on it, but somebody else is gonna step on that. Right. Or right. you're find a way to like cut themselves with it or even for your own safety. Slide that back in that packaging because man, even though that's not as sharp as what it could be, those things will they'll nip you.
0: Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And we've we've already kind of talked a little bit about the 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 processing, but is there any other uh products or pieces of equipment that you would recommend for the breaking down period, you know, you're breaking it down, you're getting ready to throw it in the freezer.
1: Um, a good game hoist and gambrel is, yeah. is really good. And what's fun is that there's a bunch of there's, you can go as heavy as you want, as heavy duty as you want. If you're pulling out the big lugging deer. Um, but a lot of times, even some of the, just the cheap models that you can get, um, you know they, the the winch does a great or the, the hoist does a good enough job just to get uh, an average-sized deer up there. You do have to get a buddy to lift up on it if it if you end up getting a monster. Yep. But being able to get that deer hung up and at your chest level, uh, breaking animals. Breaks you as well. That's a, that's something that I picked up from a butcher, and the fact that anything you can do to make it easier on yourself, bring things to your bring so you can stand up straight. Yeah. Um, finding a way to take the pressure off your hands and use an implement to pull hide or using gravity to be able to pull things off, that is invaluable. And you right. you learn that once you've done a few. And especially multiples, you, you have a, a the glorious night where you end up getting two bucks, or you get um, one buck and one doe, and you got two deer hanging. After you break down the one, and you feel yourself kind of aching up and starting to to so you know get sore, you look over and you're like, shoot, I'm only halfway. I got another <laughs> mountain to climb over here. Yep, absolutely. That that is super good. Um, I'm a hind up kind of guy, so I like to take the you know use the gambrel through the back legs. I find that works out great for me. Um, I know there's a whole sect uh, of guys that like to hang from the neck, and so they have their own process going that way. That would be just a simple um, block and tackle that you can put that up and be able to tie that off. But, man, with as cheap as gambrels and hoists have become, that's invaluable, especially yeah. if you're trying to make it easy on yourself.
0: Yeah. I have a I have a vision of a man cave slash deer hanging facility in my like I, i'm that guy who wants i want a little i want a bathroom in there so you can clean up i want a a walking cooler i want um an automatic electrical hoist so i don't have to do any work all i gotta do is hook the gambrel <laughs> the gambrel up to the legs and just hit a button some industrial you know something that could lift up a, a car type of deal and yeah uh, you know reinforce the whole garage with it and i think that that would be that's ideal you know i want i'd I'd love to have the drain in the floor so you could just hose everything down and uh and and so that's that's just a daydream though because that's uh that's uh a little bit more expensive than having to use your muscles to to uh,
1: pull them up absolutely to your uh to your dream thing there don't forget below the hoist because i was thinking about this the other day um we had to clean up several deer that were coming into my little shop And we've used before what's referred to as the golf ball method, Um, essentially where you take a rope. Well, actually, you take it like a golf ball or a rock or some sort of hard implement. And you actually put that behind the hide um, where you've already started. you got to get your initial cuts to where basically you just have to pull the hide off. It's all muscle work now. And you do like a, a double hitch or you do some sort of knot around that object that's behind the hide. And what that essentially does is keep it from slipping out. If you put an eyelet in the floor, so like a uh, like where yeah. you can screw it in, screw it out. Cause in my shop, if you pull it sideways, uh, you're going against the rafters and it, I'm actually pulling at a 45 and that's not good for those rafters. I would hate for those to snap. They're, it's only two by four construction. But if I have an eyelet in the floor, now I run that cable through the eyelet and straight up. So now I'm getting a direct straight down pull Yep. and have that threaded that, shoot, after the job is done, you just screw it out and you got a flat floor again. Add that into your uh, okay. your right. wonder cave there. That's yeah. where it's going to be. That's yeah. a true sign of a uh, true deer dresser right heck there. Heck
0: yeah, heck yeah. And by the way, my uh my my ideal uh thing or my ideal building will be like all metal and I-beams. And so like it will be <laughs> yes. it will be like tornado proof. <laughs> I could hang buffalo oh, if goodness. I wanted to.
1: Yes, that would be awesome. Big old bison hanging yep,
0: there. absolutely. All right, so we've processed. Um Now it's time to take it out of the freezer and actually start doing some cooking with it. Let's get into uh, some gear that you would recommend for the kitchen.
1: Gotcha. Um, First off, most people, if they're listening to this, have a kitchen. And so what I've kind of done with this is that culinary experience is just like woodsmanship in the fact that It's going to take you a while to really get honed in. Guys that really already love being in the kitchen, they love being at the barbecue, uh, your learning curve is going to be a little bit easier on this. And you might even be uh, past what I'm going to refer to as like the good, better, best scale that just getting something uh, that you can use is going to be good. So the knives that you've already got in your kitchen are good. But at the same time, we're always trying to be better. We're always trying to step up our game, some of us in other areas. And I've chosen the kitchen that I wanted to be able to do that in. So even though some of my equipment that I'm using is still rudimentary as far as like it's still cheap, it's still um, not, you know, I I haven't made a made a living in the kitchen. I mean, I do my, I live through the kitchen, I guess. So some of these equipment that is super cheap, which is, excellent because it's accessible to everybody but just like everything you can be able to step up as you want things to be easier and then it's going to actually help you out even more in the long run um so like when it comes to like again my knives um I've got some pretty cheap knives some that I've picked up they look cool um one is like a a walnut handle and it's a a little bit longer of a slicing knife or a bullnose butcher's knife I got it for five bucks at a thrift shop and what makes that knife super cool is that it, I mean, A, has the shape in the blade for when I'm trying to take a roast and make into steaks. So I've got like my my bottom round or I got my top round. If I use a smaller knife and I make a bunch of cuts, it, what ends up happening is I, I get a jagged cut and my presentation doesn't look exactly the way that I want it to. It, to get a sear job on a jagged piece of meat is a little bit more difficult. But by taking a longer knife and having one swipe through an entire roast, I get a clean cut, and that's going to mean a flatter surface area so that when I hit that hot cast iron or I hit that grill, it's going to get as much surface area as possible to be in direct heat with gotcha. that. So that's just merely a presentation piece. Yeah. So having a long slicing knife or a butcher's knife, essentially it's – uh. Uh, the one I've got is eight inches. Um, it's probably by two inches, two and a half inches wide. But what it does is it comes up and has a real bull nose on the front of it. It's right, rounded, not necessarily real pointy, like a like a paring knife would be, or like one of those replaceable blades. It's real rounded at the end. Yeah. Um, but essentially, that gives you a nice uh, ability to be able to, to have a, a clean cut. Um, so having like a butcher's knife like that with a bull new, bull nose is is great to have in the kitchen. The second one is a really good, um, I guess for better term, a chef's knife. Um, there's so many different kinds of knives that are out there that you can go after. Some of them being, uh, these like Japanese hand forged, uh, (laughs) super, like super high grade. And you're like, $1,000 $1000 yeah,
0: for a knife or whatever they are.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Like I I know my backstrap is invaluable, but I don't know if it's a $1000 invaluable. <laughs> you don't need that. That would be again, you know, that's these sushi knives. That's that excellent. That's that, that best piece that w- we're not going to need that. I mean, it's not within our ballpark. But getting something like the $100 range. Um I'm not supported by these folks at all, but I've got this uh Misen, uh knife and it's a knife which essentially it's you know, a flat blade and it's got a rounded end nose to it. Um, it's a it's a great chopping knife. So as I'm getting ready for whatever I'm going to be putting in the pot or as I'm cutting vegetables to go along with it, or even just cutting the meat, um, having a good, knife that you that you love that's you've got some beef to the handle so you can hold on to it um being able to put on an edge people talk about wanting like these really hard like again the, the sushi knife super hard they hold an edge forever but then try to put an edge on that and holy crap you have to do a ton of work for those knives even the professionals send those in to get done on a machine that's just not worth it you're going to want something a little bit softer uh, when I do my like we were talking about the the kits that you guys use through um, Outdoor Edge or even I've picked up Victorinox um, Victor Knox Victor is uh, an industry leader in uh, the meat world. They do this pretty much the same steel. It's like this uh, rubberized handle and they've got a uh, high carbon steel that if you nip that a bunch like it's going to dull the blade and you're going to find that even as you're processing that deer that blade is going to round or the yeah that edge is going to round over. That's fine because you can bring that edge back very easily. It doesn't yeah. take a rock and science. It doesn't take uh, somebody with years of experience to bring that edge back. It's very forgiving. Um, so being able to do that, and I would guess that would. So yeah, you got uh, some softer knives. You got a chopping knife, a butcher's knife, and I say would last would be a, a steel or a hone. Um, guys have gone interchangeable with those, and basically it's a steel rod. Some of them are. Uh, Uh, flat some of them are uh they're ribbed on the side and essentially what that is is that's just going to bring your edge back you don't need to go back to the sharpening stone if when your knife starts to feel dull most instances you've just rounded that edge over and so by going to the hone and you see some of these professional uh chefs like they're making you know making it all impressive you slow it down again. We don't want to be, we don't want to hurt anybody. Uh, like the phrase goes, if, it, if you don't want to get bloody cut toward a buddy. Yeah. Um, so keeping that knife edge um, of good and sharp is also going to keep it away from having you to be able to do a lot of work and cut towards yourself. Um, so using that hone to bring back that edge and it just takes like three swipes on both sides, on either side of that blade. It's going to stand that back up and you're going to be back in action uh being able to cut. Gotcha. So that's, that's what I would essentially use as far as like, now I've brought the meat out of the freezer. I'm prepping whatever my dish is going to be. Um, that's going to be, that's going to be what I want to do. Again, I, I haven't even gotten out of the better category that I have like some specific knives um, that don't necessarily have the highest quality steel, but yeah. this is one of those instances where going, going, am- going super high, uh, it, it's not worth it at that point because of, where a lot of people are starting right the other thing too is i'm looking at one back here um, my brother ended get me one of these knives uh they're all over the internet and uh it's made out of like i don't know this forged steel and they were real popular there um as far as ads were going like these goofy shaped uh asian knives and i'm holding one right now it uh it's more of a display piece right now because i can't keep a, a real good edge on it it doesn't have really a, a favorable shape. So you're going to see like these Damascus companies. I don't know if they've been getting a hold of you at oh, all, yeah. but it's like oh, yeah. every other week I'm getting another like, Hey, you try this out, this Damascus, Damascus steel company, or try out these fancy new hand forges." Like, you know what guys, like I've never heard of you before. And that's probably, <laughs> that, there's probably a reason why you've just popped up overnight. So I would say uh, stick to, stick to stuff that, um, that, you're, uh, that you've heard of, that you know of, that, that's going to you know, offer you that quality and try not to get sucked into gimmicks.
0: Right. So I've heard you talk about this before. I want to ask you, uh, um, well, you are a fan of cast iron skillets, and I know the benefits. You can use it on the stovetop. You can also throw it in directly right into the, the oven back and forth. Why do you like cast iron so much?
1: I can't break it, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can't break these things. They are built for the test of time. Um, they've got weight to them. They're not just, uh, they're not a unitasker. You can use them in other ways than just uh, the skillet that you're using. A lot of them, I know with um, several companies, the skillet and the Dutch oven work in tandem where you can actually take the skillet, flip it over, and now that's the lid they nest in well together. Oh, yeah. Um, so they've had a chance to... to um, play with these i mean shoot this was our our first pans um only when people started really getting away from the kitchen did we see these like hey here's some lighter weight stuff that whole like uh yeah like the 60s boom or like where where the, uh, the housewife was no longer just going to be the housewife. She's going to be going out to work as well. And so dinner is going to be one of these things where it's going to be, ah, shoot, now you have to do all this effort. And now you start to see these introductions of aluminum. You're starting to see uh, Teflon take over. You're starting to see a lot of these other materials trying to lighten everything up to make it easier for the home cook because there's not someone at home cooking all day. Yeah. And, a lot of these products, they're, they're nice. I mean, shoot, I was a kid growing up on, on Teflon. And after a while, I was looking at like, as I learned more about Teflon, you're not supposed to use metal uh, utensils on any of these things. And because that's going to scrape it off and it's going to ruin it. And then you end up, Getting flecks of Teflon in your food, and then I'm looking at my pan that is a, a non-stick Teflon. I'm like, oh no, there's a lot of that missing. <laughs> How yeah. much of this have, have I consumed? Have I fed to people? So, i what I like about the cast iron is there's not that element of I can't scrape off the the layer that's going to protect it, or at least protect my food or keep it non-stick. Uh, you can make cast iron non-stick by just watching the seasoning and that's the again the thing that you can get any piece of of cast iron you can get off brand you can go high end um, a lot of these uh, new high carbons are coming out Um, you can go with I mean this the tried and true lodge they've been around forever and you can make a lodge cast iron pan crappy by not taking care of it as far as adding a seasoning to it and the seasoning is essentially melting uh, fats and oils into the pores because it is porous. If you don't do that, that's where things are going to start to stick. But if you keep on, if you add a lick of oil every time you're done with that, and you know you clean it up um, using water or whatever, it's. I guess it's even okay to use soap. I know there's a there's a big uh, no no that people say that don't do that, but essentially not don't use the soap because that's going to leach out your seasoning. But if you're constantly adding to your seasoning, you don't need to worry about that. It's all about protecting uh, that layer that's on there. But I end up using uh, kosher salt. So I'll just put a little splash of water in just so it's got some sort of lubrication. And then I'll take a half a handful of kosher salt, throw that in and use cotton rag or whatever. And that does a great job at bringing up all the burnt stuff that's on the bottom or anything that's stuck. Just doing that scrub. It's not damaging the seasoning. It's not, uh, you can't hurt the cast iron at that point. Washes out great and then add that lick of oil in there and it's good to go for the next time. So making sure that you use these seasonings. Um, in fact, there's a couple even companies that are out there that really do a good job. Um, I'm thinking of one. Uh, it's not, I can't think of the name right now, but it's essentially formulated out of um out of, uh, um, some different fats, and I think it's got a little bit of beeswax in it as well. Um, but anyway, that's a commercial product you can pick up that you can just like, it's almost like a deodorant stick. You can just put that right into the pan and it works out and you can store that off to the side. But other than that, using animal fats, using uh, Crisco, whatever you want, whatever high saturation fat you want to put, it, put into those cast irons, that just keeps them uh, ready to go for the next time.
0: Perfect perfect and so that's your uh that's in, in your dream kitchen you're working with a lot of cast iron
1: i like the cast iron um i i want to grab a couple of enamel coated pieces as well as far as a skillet um an enamel dutch oven i would say is invaluable uh and that one's basically just a cast iron that's been powder coated in enamel and then baked and so it's got this real slick layer of uh, It's like a I mean, it's definitely like one of the pretty pieces or beautiful pieces you want in your kitchen. So make sure you get a color that you like. But having that is just invaluable because of how easy it is to clean up. And so to try out some of these skillets that are a little bit more heavy duty, but have an enamel coating, I think would be super fun. I don't know where to put that as far as a good, better, best. Uh, seeing where they are priced out, we're, we're starting to get into some best category with some of the enamel coated stuff. And that's where I want to kind of step up my game, shoot the pans that I'm using right now. I got, I think it was a wedding present and those were, that was 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. So it's like, yeah, we're ready for a a revamp of some kitchen equipment, but at the same time, the old tried and true, the old Teflon is still kicking when I, when I need it to.
0: Awesome. All right. I'm going to step in with one real quick. And this is actually one that has benefited me the most out of everything that I use when I, when I cook wild game, uh, or even at home when I'm just, you know, cooking domestic meat is a meat thermometer, uh, that, that, that thing has now, you know, once I read on, you know, what temperature for a medium backstrap really is what I'm, I'm using, uh, cooking it to how to how to do that and all the flavoring uh, kind of comes after that you can experiment with different flavors and salts and fats and and vegetables and uh, you know sauces and stuff after that but what has really helped me is knowing that internal temperature knowing when to take it off of the heat and knowing how like how long to rest it that right there has led me to going from venison is just okay to eat to i can cook a really really good backstrap that will melt in your mouth you know and share that kind of recipe with someone who's made not have ever had a wild game before like my wife right she can tell the difference everybody can tell the difference between beef and, and venison but absolutely it tastes way better than this overcooked hamburger style, you know, everything I, I I cooked, I overcooked wild game for, for years and years and years to the point where I just didn't like it anymore until, you know, I started doing the research on, you know, making it a a medium temp, getting it to that. Like what, when, when you cook your wild game, what do you usually cook it to? Or let's say a backstrap, for example.
1: So backstrap, um, if I'm going, I usually go with a reverse sear technique um, that's where I go into the oven and then to the hot skillet or to the grill afterwards or the direct heat on the grill. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, with a probe thermometer that that's information that you normally couldn't have gotten, uh, well, they still have had probe thermometers, but only recently have they become really user friendly. Yeah. Uh, the fact that you can use Bluetooth, fast you can use yeah. wi Um, I've been working with a company out of, out of Missouri. They do a dang good, and it, it looks like a pen. And in fact, their latest version is now the thinnest on the market. I think it's at three mil- three or five millimeters. And it's a pro, anyway, it's a probe thermometer. Probe thermometer, uh, Bluetooth hooks right up to your phone.
0: What's the name of the company?
1: Name of the company's Tapacue. <laughs> okay. Um, out of Missouri, it's a mom and pop, uh, little business, little family-owned business. Um, if you use the code Hunt Ten on there, you can get a ten percent discount. Not to just throw out something shamelessly. Um. But that's that's been invaluable yeah. for that reverse sear because now what I'll do is I'll try to get my uh, backstrap. My wife likes it rare, and I like that I like that rare and that medium rare setup. And getting mine to one ten, and then pulling it out, and then letting it rest. Um, if I'm doing a bigger one, I'll kind of get it to that uh, that one hundred and five because it is going to take a little bit longer on the sear side. Um, but once I get to that 105, 110, I'm pulling off and resting for 10 minutes. Not tenting on anything. Not doing it. But that gives me time to get the the other thing or the uh, either the grill really like smoking up or even get the cast iron uh, ready to go. So for that rare to medium rare, you're looking at 110, 115. Yeah. And guys will be like, no, no, that's not the same temp on on beef. It's this. It's a little higher. Correct. It is going to be a little bit higher. But with uh, with venison. You're going to want to lean towards normally what you like. Um, I would lean, you know, 5 to 10 degrees cooler on venison if you're going to compare it to beef. Just in the fact that you're giving yourself a little bit of leeway and at the same time, it tastes better the more medium, rare that you can get it. Yeah. Um, Something about the meat fi- fibers—they're—they're they're smaller than beef. Um, they firm up a little bit more in reaction to to that heat. So if you like a medium on beef, I would re- like—it's almost directly the same texture as once you get a medium rare on venison. It's funny how that, how that works out.
0: Yeah, and so thus the benefit of a a, a meat thermometer. Um,
1: Absolutely. Yes. yes.
0: Yes. Okay. So meat thermometer. Uh, We've talked about pans. uh, We've talked about knives. What else you got for us?
1: Um, For a guy getting started out, if he missed out at Christmas uh, when he was a child and he didn't get his Easy Bake Oven, well, this is the time now, guys. You can go get yourself an Easy Bake Oven known as a pellet grill. Um, Takes the guesswork out of trying to get to that proper temperature uh you're going to have a good smoke on whatever you're trying to do you've got the the amazing ability to just have so much control over that um that was my slight dick to calling it uh uh, an easy bake uh for the fact it is uh, (laughs) dude it is there's no (laughs) lie time no lie it's and it's good and i throw that out as a joke i'm mainly because i think maybe i'm jealous i don't have one yet myself so i like to poke it at others, my buddies got one, and I you know the power went out here in Michigan uh, for a couple days, all oh, midsummer. And so I asked him what he was going to put on the grill each day that the power was out. Yeah. He's like, nothing. Yeah. Unless I hook it up to a generator, I can't do <laughs> nothing with it. But at the same time, it offers such a like an easy tool that you can go there. Uh, many of them now have uh, probes even put in yes. to them. Yes. Um, I would. If you've got a, if you've got already got a Bluetooth thermometer and then you've got one of those, I would also recommend that you calibrate. And what I mean calibrate is, is that those are going to be a little bit off from other uh, thermometers. So you might have to find something that is reliable to you and test it against that. It might be off by, you know, 10, 15 degrees. That's no fault to other than just the circuitry and the way that it's reading. But if you can then, quote unquote, dope your scale to, uh, try to figure out oh yeah this had to run 10 degrees warmer or, or it's got to run five degrees cooler um just make sure you know what you're doing with those built-ins um just because they put so much work into the the unit itself that that probe probably didn't get the same thinking uh, of of the rest of the product
0: i'll say this my dad bought me a pellet grill for my birthday and it is an amazing piece of equipment i cooked uh i took i took two back straps Threw them on there just as an experiment. Put the internal probe that came with it in there, and I think I wanted to get it to like 120 ish. Yeah, and it tasted like candy. I mean, it was, and that was just with like I think I all I did was put some some Lari seasoning salt on it, some garlic powder, and uh, and a little bit of uh, olive oil on the. And a little bit of Worcestershire on it. And I'm yeah. telling you right now, those two back straps, I, I I ate one instantly and then I saved the the next one for the next day for my lunch. And it was these the ability to throw the smoke on it, control like you can you can cook it for ten hours, you can cook it for four hours. Whatever you want. I've done pork butts on it, I've done ribs on it, I've done all these things. And so these grills are like the 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 Grill Masters crock pot because you you it allows you to just leave it alone and the automatic feed is what ke- you know keeps the smoke coming in and keeps the the heat coming in and so dude I I absolutely love my pellet grill
1: the consistency with the pellets too it's yeah. a uniform piece that goes in it everything just it's handed to you out of the box hey. You can't screw it up unless you are trying yeah. to screw it up. So as far as a safeguard, this is the—I mean, this is the amazing entry point for you to be able to get in and be able to just start, start messing around, start playing with things. Different pellets. I'll yeah. offer them—you know—different smokes. Um, you know, you can go with a cherry. You can go with a pecan. They and you just get it in a bag, and you can store the bag inside because it's such a uniform piece. Um, and the. Yeah, they've done a great job at constructing those. Yes. Um once you start getting into like or I jump over into the charcoal, uh I love my charcoal uh grill, but at the same time it takes me to play with it now. I'm going to have if I depending on the briquette that I get or the lump charcoal, I'm going to get a different response of the heat and if I'm not if I'm not playing with it, if I'm not babysitting it, if I'm not Involved with the process things can go south super quickly unlike shoot you're getting the the ability now with some of these uh pellet grills where you can start something on a long smoke put it on wi-fi oh i forgot the uh the beer that i'm going to need to drink with this i can go to the store leave that thing running and watch that temperature either hold or climb or see what it's doing so that's just super cool as far as somebody trying to get into it that's a great piece to start with. And then you can get to the nuance. You can get to that uh, more playing side of it with either the the big green egg or like the PK that I got. I love my little PK grill. Um, I can smoke on it. I can grill on it. But I got to babysit it. I got to hang out with it. And that's that's my way to get out in the house. I'm like, babe, sorry, I can't come in and watch the kids. I got to be out here on the porch because if I walk away too far, something's going to go bad and I'm, I need to sit right here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh we got about time for one more piece of equipment that you would recommend for a someone, I don't know, uh to better their their wild game cooking experience.
1: Ah well, uh, like I mentioned earlier, like a, an enameled Dutch oven is invaluable. You can braise in it. You can stew in it. You can do anything you want with it. But also with that Dutch oven or that enamel Dutch oven, it's a great heat sink. And so if you are going to jump again, if we're playing with technology, we're playing with gear, we're bringing in all this stuff, the new one-trick pony, if you let it be, You know, this if you can think creatively with it, it won't be the one trick pony. But getting one of the sous vide wands, they are coming Mm -hmm. down in price. Um, I got one last year as a Christmas gift, and that little thing can just pump out heat into whatever vessel uh, I'm trying to use. But that, like an enamel Dutch oven, you just use the bottom of it. You can get the plastic tubs for them. Yeah, they're easy to clean, but at the same time, it just doesn't hold that that heat in there. Um, Is that something that you plug into a wall? It is. Yes, it is electric. Okay. You plug it into the wall. Um, There's not one. I don't think that has an onboard battery yet. Um, There are some that now they, again, they've jumped right into the Bluetooth technology when it comes to something like that, I was like, "Shoot, give me buttons. Let me be able to to set the settings on here. I don't need my phone always attached to it, right? Because, shoot, some of the cooks you're going to do on that are going to be 36 to 48 hours, and you want to be able to just set it. I don't need to check on it right now because I know it's going to be this temperature. If I wanted to take one of those Bluetooth um, probes that use that work a little bit nicer um, than the uh, the net or the uh, the sous vide." bluetooth attachment like you could do that um but at the same time be able to press the buttons on there get the heat going um i've done both domestic and wild on this i did a 36 hour uh turkey thigh and i think this would be awesome for any leg quarter um even the drumstick to use a sous vide option for this guys have been doing steak out of this forever you know they want to put in their their ribeyes they want to put in their backstrap but i feel like the that's it's getting wasted on there. You can do a reverse sear on it. You can learn not to use the sous vide when it comes to that. But to do something on these super long, super tough cuts, um, but so with the the turkey, like shoot your wings, your uh, your neck, your uh, your leg quarters, throw that in with some garlic, some olive oil, uh, some butter in there as well, some rosemary, and let that go. Because I did uh, these thighs for thirty six hours and pulled them out. They're going to look gray because they haven't had any direct heat. Set the broiler to high, popped them in for two, five minutes, opened them up, and they just had this golden crust that was crispy because all the fat had already been rendered out of them at that point. And I just, I just removed that bone, sliced that thin. Half of it was gone before I actually got it to the table. It Did it turn out tender? Good. pretty
0: tender then?
1: Oh, it just falls apart at that yes. point. You could take a drumstick and for that 36 hours have that in there, pull it out, and then shred it. You don't need to worry about the tendons. You don't need to worry about how tough it's going to be because at that point, it's going to just, it's rendered out all the connective tissue and you can just shred it. Add a little barbecue sauce if you wanted to. And then, man, that's a slider for the ages right there, especially on those older, tougher wild birds. Yeah, I like sliders, man.
0: I like, I'm a slider guy.
1: I like sliders. <laughs> so.
0: Hey, Nick, man, uh, first off, Merry Christmas. Thanks uh, so much for hopping on the podcast today and uh talking about your expertise there there and and giving everybody some ideas i know we're only a couple days from christmas but if you have any christmas shopping left to do think about you know some wild game cooking stuff you know some implement some gear some equipment for for your loved ones and uh yeah so merry christmas man and thanks for hopping on today
1: Thanks. I love where we're at. Yeah, we're bringing it full circle. We're going from the field, coming right into the kitchen. Yeah, it just completes the whole process. So, yeah, Merry Christmas to you and yours. And uh, listeners, same to you, and keep your knives sharp.